I think it's time to leave Rosemary Plorin alone. She's taken enough abuse from us. Yesterday when I went live with the show, I had no idea that this was going to be the topic of conversation in the sports media conversation sphere. I had no idea. I dropped the show in the morning. I look up. Everyone on social media is talking about this. Players are coming to Cam Newton's defense. Every sports talk radio show is having a segment on it. I was like, wow, yeah. I selected the right content. I knew good content when I saw it. Yes. Shred Rosemary Plorin. Yes. Get her. She's a mom who wrote a letter. Man, really, that's it. I mean, sometimes you will read something. And it's just so good. The show sheet writes itself. Sometimes I sit down and I think about what I'm going to say, make some notes, and sometimes I struggle to figure out what I'm going to say. Yesterday was easy. Rosemary Plorin parachuted out of the sky <laughs> with the most ridiculous irony-soaked letter I've ever read, at least in sports. It was unbelievable because her letter never mentioned the one thing about the celebration that I found objectionable, the length of it. It was just amazing on so many levels. You can go back and listen to yesterday's show. It was a Football Diehards podcast. So you can go to iTunes, Stitcher, search for Football Diehards with Matt Kelly, and check out the show. Get my full early mover opinion on Rosemary Plorin because I saw tweets from Mike Greenberg and others today, and for some reason, this story just doesn't have legs. When you're mocking a private person, not a public figure, who wrote a letter and then made herself a public figure by writing a letter to the Charlotte Observer. You're bringing that onto yourself when you do that. Sort of. We've all been inspired to write a letter to a newspaper or a magazine or a radio host or a columnist. We've all been inspired to have our opinion heard, and she just, for whatever reason, wanted her opinion heard in this one instance. She did it, and it went viral. And whenever something goes viral and the volume gets raised, and then there's a disproportionate amount of vitriol directed at a person. Immediately, my antenna goes up, and I'm, I'm thinking, oh, wow, okay. I immediately start to empathize with them and feel bad, and I was part of it. I was part of the echo chamber shouting at Rosemary Plorin to shut up. Now I feel bad, but at least I was out in front of it. Yay! Yay for me! I was out in front of it! I didn't do the show today. I was considering pushing that topic to Wednesday so that I could give you some fantasy nuggets on Tuesday, give you a list of free agents to pick up on Tuesday, but I said, no, 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 no! This is too hot. We need to go with this now. Run with that story now! Run with it! Hey, our entire audience is fantasy gamers. They need my prioritized list of players to pick up this week on the waiver wire. That's what they actually need. They need action items. They don't need to hear about Rosemary Plorin. Everyone has an opinion about Rosemary Plorin. That's the last thing they need from Matt Kelly. Doesn't matter! We're going with it! Push all the waiver wire content to Wednesday! Sorry! But I wouldn't be able to do it if I sat in front of the microphone today, ready to criticize Rosemary Plorin after she already was buried in an avalanche. I wouldn't be able to do it. I would actually be opting to volunteer to rescue her from the avalanche. <laughs> There's no way I could replicate yesterday's show today after seeing what she has endured. The one thing that she said yesterday that still I, I still can't quite forgive her for was 
her indignance at pelvic thrusts that were never thrusted. I mean, I still can't believe it. He never thrusted his pelvic region. And that was what she took issue with. And this never happened. It was a lie. God, here I go again. <laughs> no, let me, let me dig Rosemary <laughs> Plorin out of the avalanche. No, actually, let's dump some more snow on her. God. But we had a buzzard write in criticizing yesterday's Die Hard show. Your Will Reeve criticism was weak, bro. Must be a fan of B-Ball Breakdown sending me that tweet. And I told you why my criticism of Will Reeve was thin yesterday because he deleted all his tweets. But this is what happens to me. I feel compelled to respond to these buzzards. I know I shouldn't. I know I should just block people and move on. Or I know I should just see these kinds of messages on my timeline and just keep scrolling. I know I should just keep scrolling. I should, but I can't. And I said, there's got to be a way to find those Will Reeve tweets. So I did some investigation. That's right. And I found some responses. I'm not going to tell you how I did it, but I did it. Here are some things that I took issue with that Will Reeve said in response to people. Coming to Cam Newton's defense. One of his comebacks was, Bro, you have like eight followers. Oh, that just kills me. The you don't have very many followers comeback is the worst. Whenever I see a big media personality with a lot of followers come back at someone with, Dude, you don't have many followers. To me, that's conceding defeat because that's the worst possible comeback. <laughs> pathetic. And I read another response. Another tweet from Will Reeve read, Do you want your kids to win like Cam Newton, or would you rather your kids win like Russell Wilson? Oh my god. I forgot that he even brought up Russell Wilson. The automaton. The most boring quarterback in the history of the NFL. And I love also how he picked Russell Wilson to construct this false dichotomy between Russell Wilson and Cam Newton. Russell Wilson is the escape hatch. The escape hatch, whenever you're trying to create a false dichotomy and a black player is involved, especially a black quarterback, you will pick Russell Wilson to avoid all the racial landmines. Every time. It was no coincidence that of the sanitized quarterbacks that don't say anything and, and don't dance and always are trying to behave the way they think we want them to behave... It's no coincidence that he chose Russell Wilson of all the quarterbacks that act that way. The majority act that way. That's why I like Cam Newton so much, because he doesn't act that way. Then he also told Bomani Jones, You should debate me on TV. I am one of the most talented, undiscovered talents out here. He said that he is one of the most talented, undiscovered talents. As he was raining down judgment on Cam Newton for being arrogant. It's just rich. There's so much richness. This Cam Newton controversy is rife with richness. I love it. I can't stop talking about it because it just keeps on giving. I'm glad this guy trolled me with this, your Will Reeve criticism was weak, bro. I'm glad this fan of b-ball breakdown trolled me because it inspired me to go out and find more of these gems. Remember, he told Bomani Jones that Bomani Jones had trolled him when he was the one that actually trolled Bomani Jones. And then he said, I like to keep it professional. You don't keep it professional. The problem is, he's not a professional, and Bomani Jones is a professional. 
And then Andrew Garda from Football Guys jumped in at one point. I forgot all about this. And in one tweet, he called Andrew Garda both chief and champ. Now, I've lamented on this show the buzzards ending tweets with the condescending comma space bruh, comma space champ, comma space chief. I've, I've received all of these. You name some condescending suffix that someone could append to the end of a tweet or email. I've received it, but I have never received both a chief and a champ in one tweet. So Andrew Garda has that distinction. Congratulations, Andrew. (laughs) Will Reeve really doesn't like you, and that's a cool thing. At one point, Will Reeve invoked God, thanking God for granting him his integrity. He did that. He thanked God for his integrity as he implied that the others that were criticizing him lacked integrity. It was rich. This is amazing. There's so much richness with this controversy. Then he told Bomani Jones that because of Bomani Jones, that he had 100 mentions that were referring to what he was saying as racist code, in quotes, implying that his criticism of Cam Newton was codified. And he blamed Bomani Jones for this. So what did Bomani Jones do? He used an app to look up Will Reeves' mentions. And Bomani Jones goes, don't lie, Will. I'm in your mentions right now. There's no 100 mentions of code. (laughs) It's just, it was amazing. And then after all of this, after he was thwarted at every turn, Layering lie upon lie, trying to weasel his way out of the situation that he got himself into. What did he do? Will Reeve deleted all his tweets. It's just, he went back and systematically deleted all of them. So that's it. That's it, buzzard. That's my evidence. Demonstrating that Will Reeve tilted yesterday and it was beautiful. It wasn't even yesterday now. No, I just realized... It wasn't even yesterday. It was two days ago that this controversy has been going. This is like a fountain. This is like a controversial fountain that just sprays takes and conversation topics and jokes. It's unbelievable. Characters to mock just springing forth from this fountain. But I think that the thing that Will Reeve ended up getting entrenched in, and I talked about this yesterday, he finally found one thing that very few people could disagree with, and was that Cam Newton's dance party in the back of the end zone was excessive, and that offended his sensibilities. But even though Carson Palmer's dance moves were excessive, and even though Drew Stanton's dance moves were excessive because they were a one-time occurrence, that was okay. They were simply distasteful. They weren't disrespectful, according to Will Reeve. You get a one-time, get-out-of-Will-Reeve's-offended-sensibilities jail card If you're not a repeat offender like Cam Newton apparently is. I don't remember the last time Cam Newton had an elongated dance party in the end zone that upset his opponent. I don't even remember this ever happening before. I don't know why Cam Newton is a repeat offender. I don't don't remember any of the previous instances, any of the previous violations. But okay, okay. What about the children? Really, what about the children? Remember, do you want your kids to win like Cam Newton or do you want your kids to win like Russell Wilson? That was the question. Well, I'll tell you, 
I don't want my children emulating leaders who shrink from intimidation and refuse to relish victories. This Will Reeve guy wants his children to grow up like Jimmy Carter, and that's fine. You can do that. That's what you want, right? I don't. I want my children to grow up proud and confident, and that's what I see when I see Cam Newton. Now, Buzzard writes in, dude, did you even watch the celebration? Jeez. Yes, I did. And I just said on this show and the last show that it was excessive, okay? It didn't show great sportsmanship. I agree. And there is a difference between, in particular, forget the Carson Palmer dance party because the, the Carson Palmer dance party occurred behind the sidelines. I don't know if he knew he would be caught on camera. So let's just put that off to the side. Let's just compare the... Drew Stanton dance party on the sidelines, which was the best of the three because it was so spontaneous. Let's compare the Drew Stanton dance party and the Cam Newton dance party. The one major difference is that one was a completely spontaneous exhibition of unrestrained joy. That was the Drew Stanton dance, and that's why people enjoyed it so much. Cam Newton's dance party was contrived and choreographed. Drew Stanton's was spontaneous and improvised. I think that's a fact. But what's really the problem with contrived and choreographed and planned out? What, why is there a problem with that, though? I don't understand that. I like that, actually. I don't like it as much as the complete spontaneity that you saw with Drew Stanton. But those are once-a-season events. I still like the choreographed dance moves, too. But if it's skilled and you planned it, then that's disrespectful, right? Yeah. No, it's not. It's not disrespectful just because you planned it and just because it was elongated. But I think another reason why people like the Drew Stanton dance so much was that because it's extemporaneous and bad, I mean, it wasn't good dancing, that it's also funny. And if it's funny, you can mock it, and then you're mocking it, and it's delightful, and he's happy, and you're laughing at him, but you're sort of laughing with him, but you're actually laughing at him. But he's happy, and he's not bothered by it because he just won a big football game. So everybody's happy. We can all delight in mocking the backup quarterback. But since when do we shirk the skilled performances and prefer the mockable hack performances? I mean, think about American Idol, right? People loved when William Hung went up and bombed American Idol. They liked watching it once, they liked watching it twice, but that was about it. William Hung was like a one-hit wonder weird owl. But Kelly Clarkson actually won the tournament that year. And we listen to her songs over and over again. I know I do. I can't get enough Kelly Clarkson. And now, even today, 10 years later, she continues to sell out auditoriums. And her songs were planned out and choreographed and contrived. Why does it matter whether it was planned out or not? Does there have to be a joy meter in the stadium? How much of this is planned and choreographed and executed purposefully? How much of it is extemporaneous? Does that need to be there for us to judge how disrespectful the dance moves were? I mean, this is, this is where it gets, it gets fuzzy for me. And I talked about professional wrestling yesterday. Professional wrestling is choreographed and it's great because it's choreographed. And when you're playing a video game, the celebrations when you score a touchdown get you pumped up. They feature the celebrations. And those aren't just choreographed, those are hard-coded into the game. And you see the same celebrations over and over again, and you still get pumped up every time you see them. On these sports video games, half of what they show 
on the commercials for the sports video games are the celebrations. The things that the league uses to market its players. The events and the behaviors that the gaming companies use to market Madden. A lot of it revolves around celebrations. And yet the league comes down hard on the celebrators. Their rules about celebrations are strict. Think about how strict the rules are. The rules are so strict, you have to celebrate alone. A teammate can't even join you in any aspect of the celebration. Think about how draconian that is. I mean, I want the opposite. I want four-minute choreographed celebrations after every touchdown. I would love it. And then you would say, well, what about the commercials? Well, just abolish the kickoff. The kickoffs are dangerous, and they almost never result in a sublime play. So they are largely a waste of time, and they're the most dangerous play in the sport. So there's lots of downside, not a lot of upside. What do we talk about? We get rid of players that have low ceilings and low floors. Very little upside, lots of downside. Get out of here. Well, that's what the NFL should do with kickoffs. And instead, allow full team celebrations after every score. Why not? That would be so much more fun. Seriously, why not? I mean, contact the show at Roto Underworld on Twitter. Email us, rotounderworld at gmail.com. If you were to put yourself in the shoes of the league commissioner and the committee that oversees sportsmanship, what issues do you think they would have allowing full team choreographed celebrations after scores? Why wouldn't they want that? What is the underlying reason for banning such things? I would like to know. Contact the show. I'm curious. But yes, I will repeat myself. What Cam did was contrived one-upsmanship directed at an opponent, but it wasn't a despicable act. And the people that are saying it was disrespectful, they need to get out and see the world. If that act bothers them, then they need to get outside more. Also, the opponents, the Titans, I don't know why they weren't walking back to the bench at that point. I don't know why they were lingering around the celebration in order to interrupt it. That didn't make sense. Why why are you doing that? That's unnecessary. Again, once you get scored on, you should have to wallow for a moment on your own sideline while the other team gets to do whatever choreographed four-minute celebration they want to do because you just allowed a touchdown. And what I loved about what Cam Newton did is when he received the pushback from the Titans players, he didn't respond by pushing back. He didn't respond by escalating the skirmish. He didn't respond by spitting in the face of someone else. Steve Smith, that might be his go-to move. But that's not Cam Newton's go-to move. What Cam Newton did was he danced his way through it. Cam Newton saw conflict about to happen, and he just danced through it. It was brilliant. It was like a bad video. Michael Jackson's bad video. It wasn't a bad video. Wasn't it, was it bad? No, it wasn't bad. It was beat it. That's it. It was beat it. It was the Michael Jackson beat it video where there are two rival gangs and they settle disputes with dance moves. They settle disputes with choreographed dance battles. And that's what Cam Newton did. He settled that dispute like Michael Jackson. That was awesome. Think about it. If every NFL player responded to skirmishes on the field After the whistle, you know this happens all the time, one player grabs another player's face mask, there's a pushing and shoving, whatever it is. When that happens, imagine if the players responded with choreographed dance moves. 
I would DVR every game. I wouldn't miss a second of NFL action if I thought that at any moment there could be a skirmish after the whistle and that the players involved would break out into dance moves. And even better, the refs could actually also double as dance judges. And whoever had the better dance move response to the other is admonished and doesn't receive a 15-yard penalty. The other team that was a worse dancer, the player who received a lower dance score, his team receives the 15-yard penalty. Yes, I've done it! I need to be the commissioner! This would be great! This would be a revolution! Yes! Teams would have professional choreographers that they would have to hire. It would be a part of practice. Friday practices, the walkthrough, the players don't show up in pads, right? They would show up in leotards on Friday. Because if you're not showing up in pads, you might as well have the leg warmers on. Just be ready to go. We're going to get this right. One, two, three, three. One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. Spin. One, two, three, four. Kick. One, two, three, four. Spin. One, two, three, four. Kick. The NFL should be encouraging dancing instead of trying to legislate celebrations out of the league, which is what they've been doing over the past decade. No group celebrations. No non-uniform objects after Terrell Owens. God, I love Terrell Owens. Why are we trying to make sport less engaging and fun? It's just weird to me. And it seems like the league is focusing on these trivial issues to distract fans from a truly insidious safety issue. Because if you were watching the games last weekend, a few things jumped out at you. There were some great celebrations that jumped out at you, and that's what everyone is talking about now. But also... There were some seriously violent and scary collisions that happened. And that's consuming less than 1% of the conversation. The other 99% of conversations are about dance moves. And I'm okay with that. I like talking about dance moves. What do you think I've been talking about for two straight shows? But it crowds out any talk about the violence in the sport. Because while the NFL focuses its rulemaking on abolishing dancing and celebrations from the league. Meanwhile, Brandon Merriweather and Brandon Browner, apparently guys named Brandon are inordinately violent at the NFL level. Merriweather and Browner, notoriously dirty players. We can agree that two of the dirtiest players in the NFL right now are Merriweather and Browner. And they continue to play in the league and they continue to lead with their helmet and hit players high and hit players low in areas where they are no longer allowed to hit players. With parts of their body and parts of their uniform, they are no longer allowed to hit players. In particular, defenseless receivers. These guys are continuing this behavior. The rules are not abolishing it. The rules did a great job abolishing the group dance celebrations. Oh yeah, those were wiped away. Never to be seen again. But just this weekend, Brandon Merriweather. It wasn't Brandon Merriweather. Just this weekend, it was actually the other Brandon, Brandon Browner. He took out the Washington guard, Spencer Long. In lieu of pursuing the running back, Matt Jones, and trying to make a tackle on Matt Jones, he instead veered in order to cheap shot Spencer Long and try to take him out of the game. Why did he do that? I don't know why he did that. That's psychotic behavior, and that receives a fine. It's unbelievable. And by the way, Just because Matt Jones had a long run on a dump-off pass against the worst defense in the league isn't reason enough to go pick up Matt Jones because Chris Thompson is still the passing down back in Washington and Alfred Morris 
still is dominating the carries in Washington. So Matt Jones really doesn't have a defined role. And just because he had a huge game against the worst defense in the league is not reason enough to go out and pick up Matt Jones. So Matt Jones is not on my prioritized list of running back pickups. But every week, a small group of dirty defenders willfully ignores league player safety protocols. And what happens? At worst, they get fined. Well, not at worst. Usually, they get fined. At worst, they get suspended two games. Two games. The league refuses to marginalize players that continue to play the game unsafe. Maverick, I don't like you because you're unsafe. Brandon Merriweather and Brandon Browner, I don't like you because you're unsafe. And you show a blatant disregard for league rules protecting defenseless receivers. Like last year, Ladarius Green, another victim of Brandon Browner's. And again, the most they're suspended is two games. Brandon Merriweather was suspended two games for dirty hits. Brandon Browner was also suspended, but it wasn't for dirty hits. Brandon Browner was suspended for substance abuse. That's a perfect example of the league's misplaced priorities. If you put a banned substance in your own body, four games. If you permanently damage another player's body, at most two games. What? That's not just backwards. That's absurd. So rather than legislating out dancing, maybe, 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 the NFL should try harder to legislate out paralyzing, brain-damaging hits. Maybe, maybe. Why should they do that? Because the violence has consequences. It does. You're watching Sunday Night Football. Mike Ayupati is carted off in an ambulance. They brought an ambulance out onto the field. It took 15 minutes of primetime football. All of us were glued to our television watching Mike Ayupati be loaded onto an ambulance and then driven out of the stadium to a hospital. That happened. We all had to watch it. And I liked the fact that we all had to watch it. It wasn't happening at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. We didn't have a red zone channel so that we could just move on to the next game and forget all about Mike Ayupati. We had to sit there and look at Mike Ayupati on the ground and try to empathize with him. The Red Zone Channel is the great magic trick of the NFL. Flashing to the next action. Player writhing on the ground on the field. Forget about that. Dallas, Philadelphia. Sam Bradford has the Eagles in the Red Zone. Actually, that's a fictional scenario. That would never happen. So you can tell I was caught up in the air there. I went to Sam Bradford in the Red Zone as if. What? But I liked that we had to watch it. And the games are worse when they're played in London and the players have less time to prepare. The games are worse Thursday nights when the players' bodies aren't right. The bodies take at least a week to heal from the impacts and the collisions from the previous Sunday. Four days is not enough time. That's why the football you see on Thursday is a degraded form of the football you expect to watch. And yet we just watch it anyway because football, 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 give us football. It's terrible football. doesn't matter. It's football. I see the NFL seal. Whoa. But every Sunday, we start more and more injuries pile up. There are just too many skill position players out. So many people have their fantasy team nullified by injuries. Some great fantasy teams won't make the playoffs this year. Why? Injuries. And it's not just fantasy gamers. It's fans of teams. Imagine you're a fan of the San Francisco 49ers. Your entire team has crumbled. Even if you're a fan of the Patriots. The best team in the league. Your offensive line has crumbled. 
You have five healthy offensive linemen now. Brian Stork was playing right tackle. He's a center. Doesn't anyone see a problem with this? The league is in such dire straits trying to cope with the violence that they can't find enough players to staff active rosters with that now centers are playing guard and tackle. It doesn't make sense. Think about how weird that is and how wrong that is. It can't be right. But there are so many stoppages. And last Sunday night's game, Arizona-Seattle, we had multiple dance moves, multiple dance parties going on on the Arizona sideline. But it was juxtaposed next to lots of players being carted off the field. A lot of injury timeouts. But that's the NFL now. That's what we have. We, ha- we still have thrilling moments. We still... The league still brings you the drama, but it also brings you the tragedy. And one of the other reasons why the quality of play is diminished by these injuries, by the violence that causes these injuries, is that these backups that are playing, especially on defense, and the defenders that are playing at less than 100%, the broken defenders that are trying to will their bodies onto the field, these players are committing penalties because they can't keep up with the offensive players anymore. So you're seeing so many holding penalties, so many pass interference penalties, because the defenders that are being tasked with covering Julio Jones, they're just not up for the task. They aren't skilled enough and or they're not healthy enough to make plays on the ball. So what happens? They have to hold. They have to interfere. And then you don't get to watch football. You just get to watch half plays be run or broken plays get run. Whistles get blown, and then the teams shuffle forward or shuffle backward. They try to run another play. Whistle blows. Flag down. They shuffle forward. They shuffle backward. I mean, take a step back and think about what you're watching. For every play that is run without a penalty and without some glaring miscue is another play that has some glaring miscue and or a penalty and or an injured player writhing around on the ground. The quality of play is decreasing. It's not happening incrementally. It's happening in a very jarring way. Again, if you watch Sunday Night Football, it was very noticeable. And this was a game in which the quarterbacks were playing great. Carson Palmer was dropping it in the bucket to Michael Floyd, and he was making fantastic contested catch, tiptoeing for a touchdown. Feats of athletic brilliance were happening, and yet interspersed between these feats of athletic brilliance were bad football. If you're a fantasy player, you want this to be a game of skill, right? So what do you do? You're smart enough to go out and trade for Brady, okay? Think about it. So you go out and trade for Brady because you're smart. And then he loses Edelman. And he loses Lewis. And he loses all of his offensive linemen. And that's dispiriting. Suddenly, Tom Brady, who's scoring 30 fantasy points a game, is now scoring 15 fantasy points a game. Is that your fault? It's, if it's a game of skill, it should be your fault. You weren't skilled enough. It's not. It's not your fault. It's the NFL. It's too violent. And they have an opportunity to reduce the level of violence with legislation, with different equipment policies and different rules and protocols for fines and suspensions. I mean, Brandon Merriweather and Brandon Browner should be suspended for four to eight games when they take out a defenseless receiver, knock him out of the game, have to bring out the stretcher, put him on an ambulance. But that's a finable offense instead of a suspendable offense. Brandon Merriweather had to show blatant disregard for these rules on multiple, 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 multiple occasions before the league considered suspending him for a number of games. And so their priorities are just 
backwards. So yes, they could make it better if they wanted to, and they should make it better. It's in the league's best interest to make it better, to make the game better. Were you not entertained when the Saints and the Giants both approached 50 points in a game? That's entertaining. A 10-7 game where all the players are broken, and there's just one penalty after another, and no one can consistently move the ball forward because... Both offensive lines are destroyed by injuries. And the skill position players barely know the playbook. The teams can't score. The offenses are constipated. What have we got? You've got bad football. And that eventually is going to lead to a loss of fans. The fans are eventually going to leave the sport. It's going to happen. It hasn't happened yet, but it will start happening if the sport doesn't change its priorities. As commissioner, I would decree. You take out a defenseless receiver, you get suspended and it's a big suspension. And when you score a touchdown, dance, baby, dance! Hey, stereo sound enthusiasts, this one's just for you. If you made it through the Breaking Bad closing music, then you get this nugget. Now, this week, there's no good running backs on the waiver wire. I know Matt Jones, we talked about Matt Jones earlier in the show. That's a fake pickup. The one guy that might be out there that's still worth picking up is Jonathan Grimes. Maybe Amir Abdullah. The quarterbacks, eh. Tight ends, eh. But this is a great week to pick up wide receivers. So... I have for you an exclusive for the Stereo Sound SoundCloud subscribers. My prioritized wide receiver ad list is as follows. Number one, Danny Amendola. Number two, Dontrell Inman. And I love Dontrell Inman this week and moving forward. Oh, oh God. Leonard Hankerson? Of course. A lot of people dropped Leonard Hankerson. Go get him. Now, Doral Green-Beckham, but I also like Harry Douglas. And I like Doral Green-Beckham better because he's a lot more talented. But they're both starters, so I like both of them this week. And in a lot of leagues, Harry Douglas is the only one available. So I would get DGB if he's there, if not Harry Douglas. Now, after that, Chris Givens. Again, starter. Very available. Brian Quick, also a starter and just received a quarterback upgrade and led his team in targets last week. We will talk about him more in tomorrow's show. Devin Funchess, his snap share is rising. Keyshawn Martin, I believe that Tom Brady trusts Martin more than he trusts Dobson. And as we've seen with Janice, God, QB trust matters. I can't believe I'm saying this. This is so annoying. But it's true, and it's why I'm picking up Keyshawn Martin over Aaron Dobson. Finally, Jerron Brown, both. John Brown, I can't believe there's a Jerron Brown and a John Brown. I mean, what are the odds of that? <laughs> I mean, John Brown is a very common name, so the odds are actually high that a person would be named John Brown. Whatever. <laughs> what am I talking about? John Brown and Michael Floyd. Michael Floyd, also a very common name, right? Now, Jerron's not, and Larry's not, because there are no more Larrys. They're not making any more Larrys. It would be like if... Like Gary, like Gary Barnage, Gary Barnage, Larry Fitzgerald, that's a dying breed. Guys named Larry and guys named Gary. You just don't see those very often, and I don't think they make them. I think the number of babies born in the United States in 2015 with the name Gary or Larry is zero. I'll report that exclusively on the show. Uh, who? What? 
What was I saying? Oh, yes, Jerron Brown. <laughs> this is this is an awful appendix to the show. Can't believe you're listening to it, but it's a nugget, so you have to listen. You want to listen. You know, I know if there's one thing that you will listen for, it's nuggets. So you have to roster Jerron Brown just to see what happens with Michael Floyd and John Brown's hamstring this week. I think John Brown has been playing through it, but Michael Floyd might miss this week. So you pick up Jerron Brown just in case. So go do it. Have a good night.